Hello everybody, it's Gary Stuckey here. Welcome back to another episode of Real Music and a new interview with David Ellison of Megadeth. That's right, he's here talking about new music, new projects, working with Jeff Scott Soto, and so much more. A lot of cool stories you don't want to miss. So here we go, here's David Ellison. How's it going? How are you? I am well. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm excited. Thanks for uh, for coming on the uh, show here and talking to me. Yeah, I've been a, been a big fan for many years. Uh, Thank you. And uh, so here we go. Uh, okay. And, uh, and 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 I've noticed you've got a voice for the radio. You ever thought about doing working like at a radio station? Yeah, people, <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. You know, people have asked me that for years. So far, no one's given me a friggin' radio show. I am I am starting a podcast okay. though, um, next month. Uh, you know, I guess it's one of these things. All your friends are doing it, so I'm going to do one too. I don't know. I enjoy being on them probably more than hosting them, but yeah. whatever. I'll see. I'll see how it goes. I know? think. I think everybody will love it. Yeah, you you got it. You're you're head of the game though with the voice though. So there you go. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So so tell me now. Uh, I know you got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, you've got the swords and tequila song that just came out, right? Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so Jeff Scott Soto and I have been friends for many years. Awesome. I actually hired him to sing on a uh, track that I wrote and was, you know, doing a record demoing up last year. And it, it was great. And, and he's, he's just a great guy. He's a consummate professional and yeah. sounded amazing. And so I'd always kept it in the back of my mind that we should try to do something together. And as we turned the corner into 2021, I was just thinking about just doing some new stuff, some different things, collaborating, writing with different people. And um, that I, I hit Jeff. I said, what do you think? And he said, yeah, he goes and, and he goes, look, why don't we just write, see what we come up with, see where it goes. Um, and that's where we're at. We've written 15 songs. Wow. Um, we're actually mixing this week uh these ideas and um when we put out swords and tequila you know right away a manager friend reached out i mean right away it, it popped you know yeah. it had immediate interest um and you know i i called my friend uh rick hughes from the band sword up in canada and um you know i, I love sword i mean we're in megadeth we were big fans of the metalized record that that was out back in like 1986 while we were on the p-cells tour and rick is just a lovely guy again a amazing singer just a great real rock and roll singer and um it was fun to have him collaborate on the track as well be part of that and you know so jeff and i talked about you know we 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 mixed a cut we mixed a couple tracks swords and tequila being one of them and i thought you know rather than give away one of our original tunes let's push this cover out this yeah. cover's got some real magic to it it pops right um and let's let's lead with this and run it up the flagpole and see what people think and you know it got saluted right yeah away. yeah so, yeah I, so we, you know i i think we read that one right and now we're working on the original tunes and getting those mixed i mean since we did swords of tequila i mean man we've been We've been powering, man. I mean, yeah. we've been working hard, and so it's it's great to see this heading into kind of the final stages. And um, but it, it's been great. We've had a, a really great collaborative relationship, along with our guitar player Andy Martin Jelly over awesome. in Italy. You know, he worked with me in the Ellison band, and um, you know, he's Andy's great. He's a great writer. He's got good instincts on you know all things metal and hard rock, and right. so we got a good little. Got a good little wheelhouse going here. 
I'm looking forward to that, man. That's, I mean, in the song, I mean, it sounds fresh. You know, it sounds like it's, you know, it sounds like an original, even though, you know, it was a riot song, right? Right. Uh, uh-huh. But it sounds, sounds so good, man. And, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing all those. And I, and Jeff Scott Soto, I've loved for years, too, you know. And, and I, and uh, Jeff's you know, amazing. I mean, come on, you know, as soon as you hear Rising Force, um, you know, I mean, God, he... Mm. You know, and I think that's part of it is, is okay, the guy from Megadeth and the guy from Ingbe's band. You know yeah, what I mean? That's it's it. kind of like, you know, right? I mean, I've done my own stuff and Jeff's done his own stuff, but let, let's call it what it is. I mean, the first impression is the lasting impression, right? Yeah. So it's got the guy from Megadeth, the guy from Ingbe. Like, what is that going to sound like? And I, I assure you, it, it's going to be yeah. it's going to be everything you would hope and expect it to be and a whole lot more. And that's oh, that's man. been the fun part is, is finding – finding our common ground and then going out and exploring some uncharted territory together too. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I'm looking forward to that. And, and I know, uh, I'm also a huge fan of journey. So I know he was in journey for a little bit. So that's pretty cool there too. So, uh, he was, and yeah. he was, he, he did a, he did a record, uh, with, uh, Neil Schoen. He, we, we actually did a live stream, uh, or a, you know, zoom interview or something right. a, a week ago or so. And he was right. talking about that. Cause I didn't know. And, and it was fun to listen to him explain that journey of how things were written and, and, um, you know, how, you know, he, <coughs> excuse me, he didn't write songs for journey, but he and Neil yeah. Schoen then collaborated on some stuff. So, right. you know, that's how these things happen. You know, you get invited to the party and, um, for one reason. And while you're there, you, you know, it's like any good party, you, you know, you strike up a conversation with people and next thing you know, you're called in to be part of other things and you get invited to other parties. And, you know, that's what, that's what music is as well. It's just, you know, you get in the room and you mingle and, and, and there you go. uh, it's easy to start. Yeah. Good collaborating and working on other things together. Awesome. Um, so let's go back. So, so how did you start playing bass? Did you just wake up one day and you said, I think I'll play the bass. That's it. No, no. What happened to you? What, how did you get started on that? It, it kind of was that simple. Ironically. Oh, was it? Oh, wow. You know, I, I, I always say our instruments choose us. We don't choose our instruments. And I say that because, um, as musicians I've met, um, you know, I look, I, I, my parents bought a Wurlitzer organ as a kid. So I took some, you know, basically piano lessons on the organ. Then I took up the tenor saxophone in fifth grade. And none of that was music I liked. I didn't enjoy the music. I yeah. really didn't enjoy learning the process, <laughs> even though I did notice that I, I, I was a pretty quick learner. And, and it, it came, you know, fairly naturally to me. Um, I had to put some time into it. I mean, it's not like I just sat down at the piano and became Mozart. I, I had to do some work, you know. Right. Um, but, you know, when I started hearing rock and roll on the radio, you know, which were, you know, it was Sticks and Kiss, Bachman Turner Overdrive, and then Foreigner and Chicago and 10CC and, you know, the stuff that was out back in the kind of mid, mid-70s, mid late 70s. Right. You know, that's the stuff that got me excited. And somehow, I don't know how, one day the bass guitar came across my radar, <laughs> I think, by way of Bachman Turner Overdrive, the Not Fragile album. And and then even you know I bought Kiss Destroyer and oh, right yeah. away in mm. Detroit Rock City there's that bitchin' bass oh, line man. you know Gene Gene's got one of the best one of the best bass fills ever I love in a that. song I love that oh I mean oh, it's just so cool man and you know suddenly the bass guitar got my attention um, as this cool instrument and I just gravitated toward it and that's what I'm saying it called out to me <laughs> yeah. I mean why would a kid 
growing up in the cornfields of rural Minnesota, suddenly <laughs> be attracted to a bass guitar. And, right, right. you know, once the bass guitar and rock and roll showed up in my life, now it was about being a rock star. Right. You know, it wasn't just about being a musician. It's like, yeah, I want to fucking go be a rock star. That's and, it. And, that's and, it. And, and all that it is, you know, so that that's been my life's pursuit. And all these years later, I'm still doing it. I'm trying to figure out how to do it. And, you know. I don't know. One day, I, I think one you'll, day it might all Yeah, work. I think you'll figure it out one day. I, I don't know. I we'll see. Yeah, we'll see what <laughs> yeah. happens. Uh, so, uh, and everybody knows you from Megadeth. So how, how did you get up with those guys? How did you meet Dave Mustaine? Well, it's funny. My son, Roman, today was just telling me that I think tomorrow, um, and this must have been on the internet, he saw it, that tomorrow, uh, April 10th, was actually Dave Mustaine's last show with Metallica in 1983. Oh, wow. And at, at Lemoore in, in Brooklyn. Oh. And, and, and so it's interesting that he then went back to California um, and was starting over, regrouping. And I met him, I'm going to say, first week of June. Uh, 1983. So like six, seven weeks later. Wow. Right? Wow. Um, and so again, just like how the bass found me, you know, the good Lord saw fit to connect me and Dave. Yeah. Um, because I, you know, me and my friends were moving from Minnesota out to Hollywood, uh, with the ambition of going to, uh, Musicians Institute, um, got there, moved into our apartment, uh, met Dave, um, and, you know, my friend Greg, who was a guitar player, right away said, oh, my God, we, we got to play with Dave. That guy's fucking awesome. And Dave, <laughs> right away, you could tell, like, Dave's, Dave's a rock star. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and uh, he, he was, we heard some of the new music he was playing. I had not heard of Metallica yet because they, you know, kill them all with now yet. Right. And um, all of a sudden, he's like, yeah, this is, this is cool. This is, this is a path forward for all of us. You know, Dave needed musicians. I needed a band and that's where it started, you know? So that was June of 1983 and here we are, wow. you know, again, something still doing our thing. Something must've worked out. You must have a pretty good relationship with Dave for, for all these years. If you're still around, right? I mean, I do. I, I, I think, you know, we, we both do, you know, um, you know, I, I understood what the, um, sort of the parameters of Megadeth were, uh, even before we called it Megadeth. I mean, I could just tell when, when you're in the room with Dave, it's like, okay, you know, he's going to run the show. He's running the room. Things are going to go down as he wants it. I mean, you can just tell he's that guy that, that he puts yeah. that off, uh, you know, that, that that's, this is how this is going to go. So it's kind of like, do you want to be part of that or not? And that's not for everybody. Right. You know? Certainly we've had enough musicians in Megadeth over the years to know like, it's not for everybody, yeah. you know. Even Marty Friedman at some point said, "Yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. I, right. I want to do things my way. I want to be my own guy again." And so he was, he departed and became his own guy. And Al Petrelli said, "Yeah, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to go back and work for Paul O'Neill and Transiberian Orchestra." So he left, you know. Right. Um, and other people, you know, couldn't sort of figure it out. You know, Chris Poland has talked about, you know, even in my book, "More Life with Death," he. Uh, you know, he said, he goes, I should have, I should have paid more attention to how David Ellison responded and just done it Dave's way. Right. You know, like Ellison, Ellison clearly figured out you can be your own guy, but you got to be your own guy 
Dave's way. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and, <laughs> yeah. and that's and that's a you know again, not everybody can handle that. Some people are like, "Fuck that! I'm not yeah. doing it my way," and right. I, I'm not willing to bend. And it's so again, being in in a band is no different than showing up and going to work. That's true. Um, you know, there's a boss, there's a hierarchy, there's everybody has a role, and if you can be comfortable in that role, then it works. If you can't, well, there's the door. We'll get someone else. Right. Yeah, well, that's understandable. And, and like you said, it's, it's worked out for this long. So, you mm-hmm. know, may it continue, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I saw a bigger picture, you know. It's like, you know, it, it's I, – I was content being a blank canvas yeah. for Dave to create with um, and just sort of being a tool in, in the easel of his creative, you know, aperture, if you will. Yeah. And, and that's where it started. And, and look, it's gone through many transitions, you know, collaborative things. There've been group collaborations. There've been, you know, moments when Dave said, Hey, I, you know, I want you to go out and find this, this, this song or this lyric or this music. And I want you to bring it into the band. So, you know, again, we've done it a lot of different ways, but you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, it, it, it ultimately, goes down Dave's way and and you know I think I've always respected that and that's that's why we've you know had our our friendship uh, but we've that's why we've had our our working relationship in the band that's great yeah that's that's awesome um and I was thinking about your baseline you know everybody knows this baseline peace sells but who's buying right, right. and so how did you come up with that and I know you've probably been asked that but how, how did you just make that so unique and then and the sound and how it flows with the song. How did that Well, work? it was actually a line that Dave came up with. I had this fretless BC rich bass and I don't know how it became fretless. At some point we ripped the frets out of it. And it <laughs> you made fretless. it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. It was, I think it was the white bass that had the blood splattered on oh, it that you see yeah. some early pictures of me yeah. with. I think, I think at that, I tried to put a Kaler bridge on it and I ruined the bass and oh. it didn't work. So, we basically, I think at some point we ripped the frets out, somebody sanded it and, and painted it, and it, or not didn't paint it, they, they just you know, sort of lacquered it. It was like a natural finish at that point. And, yeah. But however it came to pass, we were living with our uh, the engineer uh, from the Killing Is My Business record, Carrot Fay. We were living up at his house up in Laurel Canyon. And, um, you know, Dave just picked up the bass and started playing this line and he says hey junior come here here, here play play this part you know so i started playing it and um we went to rehearsal that night and um we got in the room and that song pretty much wrote itself in wow. like you know a couple hours you wow. know mm. and i would say probably the bigger megadeth hits have have done that i mean Pcell, symphony of destruction sweating bullets um you know, train of consequences. Uh, yeah. You know, some songs start and then they need pruning and tending and sweetening and seasoning to, to before they become, you know, a full song. Other Others, you know, like P-Cells, pretty much write themselves in, in an evening, you know. Right. And, um, you know, it's cool when you, when you find that. You're like, wow, there's the riff. Right. Um, and then from there it it becomes the song yeah that, and it sounds great and you, and you ever go back and listen to that and go yeah that's pretty cool <laughs> i mean you know, you I, know? I mostly from my, my point of reference with that song is i think about that night we were putting it together and guard just playing a very, very simple <clears throat> groove yeah because 
that's not something guard normally did. Gar was a very progressive uh, drummer. So for yeah. him to just keep a simple groove was kind of counterintuitive for him, but he did it and right. it just locked down this nice pocket. Um, for me, Dave and Chris to just lock in on, on the, you know what I mean? Like that, that requires discipline. It's funny as much as we're these very accomplished musicians and players and we can play a lot of stuff. Sometimes for guys like us to just discipline ourselves to play very simple is is a whole other level of musicianship yeah, right. because it requires you to just say very little and and just kind of be okay with saying a little because that statement is so big right, you know and right. um i think about when we took that song out on the road um we did a tour in early 86 which became kind of the pre-production tour for the for that record um you know in those days we could go out and play all the new songs and you know they didn't end up on the internet. You know, yeah, right. if, you did, if we went out and played the new That's album right. before it came out, it'd be on YouTube. That's exactly you know, right. Like, why even record it? You know, That's the whole true. thing would be freaking spoiled. Exactly. But back then we could. And, and I just remember every night that we played that song, you, you know, you kind of read the room and you go, yeah, we got something here. This, this song's going to be a hit, you yeah. know? And, um, you know, fortuitous, uh, timing that Capitol records came to the party after we recorded the record and picked it up and bought our contract. And, you know, then that, that allowed that song to have a big platform and, you know, again, it ended up in MTV and all the yeah. other great things that happened with it, you know? Right. That's awesome. Awesome song. Um, yeah, and and the sound I always love the sound, you know, and, and the thrashy sound, the bass, you know, the drums and everything. But you know, and and I know Megadeth has gone through that transition of different sounds, and I know a lot of people give like the album Risk, which you know speaks for itself, you know, a hard time. But I wonder why do they always try to compare? I mean, you know, like they try to compare an album. It's got to be as thrashy or sound like a certain album, like Rust in Peace. It's got to be like that, or I'm going to give it an F because I want. Why do they do that? Well, you know, I assume you and me are probably a little bit older guys. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. So we've kind of been around the block a couple more times. Right. Um, but I, I think about me when I was young, okay? So, like, I was a big Kiss fan, right? So a Kiss right. record would come out. And, I, it, you know, I benchlined, I, ba I benchmarked it against my first record, which was Destroyer. Right. Um, and, um, you know, in my mind, the perfect album um rock and roll over comes out i'm like okay pretty good not bad i still like destroyer better um and then love gun comes out it's like yep pretty good uh maybe in my opinion a little better than rock and roll over but still not as good as destroyer right, right, so, right. <laughs> um and then you know what i mean so i kind of benchmark everything against that you know as as the foreigner song said it feels like the first time right you know? and i go back i listen to that first foreigner album fucking amazing yes. you know what i mean especially that song i mean there are these hits yes so um you know a lot of this stuff is like that i mean i've talked to fans who have said the same thing they go why do people give risk a hard time like i was 13 years old and that was the first record i ever bought it was the first megadeth record i ever bought i love it it was it, you know it, that that was and then I, and I bought every other megadeth album since right. you know and 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 that's when i realized yeah don't ever bash your own work because i think yeah. maybe we were you know we were again when we were making the record it was not an easy record to make it was a very difficult record to make because we were stretching out and exploring some stuff that is not in our liking and i think jimmy grassle said it best he said 
I joined Megadeth thinking we were going to play Holy Wars. Yeah. Next thing you know, I'm in the studio recording Breadline. Right. And totally kind of going, yeah. okay, I'm, I'm in the band. I'm, I'm signed on. I'm going along with this journey, but this feels a little weird. Like we might be going a little too far out of our, of our boundary. Right. Um, yet at the same time, as we were making it, I remember sitting on the airplane, me and Dave and Marty were sitting in a row. Uh, leaving Phoenix, flying up to, I think, I don't know, Denver or something. We are starting a promotion tour. And I remember Dave had the mixes, and he said, here, do you want to listen to it? And I remember it was in like a, like a cassette Walkman or, yeah. or like a Discman. Maybe it was on CD or something, right? <laughs> yeah, right? And I sat in the plane, and I listened to it, and I just remember just going, Fuck, man, this is a great record. Yeah. Um, and it really, you know, Dan Huff's production. Oh, yeah. He's a great I producer. Love, I love Dan. He's worked with Taylor Swift and Keith Urban. I mean, everybody, you know. Yes. And um, at the time, he was pretty new in his production, in his producing career, but man, he really had a, a skill, you know. And he made, I always say the two Dan Huff records, Cryptic Writings and Risk. Yeah. When I listened back to those, suddenly those records were better than the band I was in. They're you know, good. They're meaning, good. Yeah. There, there was, there was a polish, and a next level excitement in those records that <clears throat> made us better when we went to go play them live because now we, we had to sound as good as that record. And I think every record we've done has done that. Every record yeah. sort of raises the caliber of the band. But Dan had a had a there, there. There's like special magic in his work, you know. And I just remember going, man. Because I remember as a kid, like, you know, I'd hear I'd get like a Cheap Trick record. And I'd go, well, how come my band doesn't sound as good as Cheap Trick? You know, like, these, these records right. sound great, and they're so polished, and everything's in tune. And then I play with my band, and we'll play a Cheap Trick song, and it's kind of noisy and thrashy, and, you know, like, what the hell, you know? And and so I felt like with those Dan Huff records, like, that was a moment where it didn't just sound like Megadeth recorded our music. It sounded like someone made a record, right. you know, like it really went to the next level of, of it's, it, it, it just came out better than, than, than we, than we were, you know what I mean? And, and I, I just, it was such a great, just sort of transitional process for us making those albums with them. Yeah. I'm, I remember, you know, thinking the same thing. I, I know it went from, you know, the heavier albums, you know, uh, and kind of mellowed out. But I've been a fan of Dan, you know, when he was with Giant. And I had his brother on here, David, a few months back. Yeah. And uh, and I think overall, I mean, he's just a talented guy, like playing guitar and singing, loved his voice, loved everything. So he, he probably had this certain view of how he wanted it. Uh, you know, and he took an awesome band like Megadeth to make that sound. I think that's a hard thing yeah. to do for everybody. And when y'all were doing the same thing, I mean, like you said earlier, when you're having to play an instrument and kind of holding back or or maybe playing a different style to fit that album, I think that that's like an underrated, that's a doggone underrated album. I don't care what anybody says. That and Cryptic Writings. Cryptic Writings is one of the best, I mean. I gotta say, I agree. I mean, I, it's I just totally it's agree. just really good, you know. Which all of them are, of course, but just yeah. that's just really, you know. And you could tell that you worked hard on it, you know, regardless of what people say. So that makes you, you know, you need to think about that, like you said earlier, you know, when you you're downing yourself about your own stuff, you know. So yeah, I mean, you know, you always, you know, you work hard on a record, and you hope it gets well received. And sometimes when it's not, you your first your first reaction is 
you know, screw them. Like, how, can, how dare they not like our stuff? And then you got to step back and be, and be, you know, be critical and go, okay, well, why don't they like it? Like, what's, what's, what's the deal here? You know what I mean? And, um, you know, so those are the moments that I think, you know, you have to, you know, you gotta, again, be a be a little more critical about, uh, you know, what, you know, what could we have done better? Where, where did we miss the mark? Could we, did we go too far left? Did we go too far right? What, what's the deal? You know what I mean? Right. And, you know, yet at the same time, you know, that was an interesting, you know, Megadeth has survived a lot of different transitions, uh, not just internally um, with our own band and our own, you know, lineups and stuff, but also with <coughs> the world changing around us. Yeah, you know? that's um, right. You know, with hair metal bands being all the rave and we're kind of the underdog and then, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, Nirvana shows up and Seattle music changes the landscape, and right. then, you know, new metal corn and, you know, those guys come in and they do their thing. And, you know, by the, by the time we did risk, you know, now all of a sudden there was, you know, Godsmack and disturbed and, you know, seven dust and all these, there's kind of a new movement of this sort of radio rock sound going on. And, right. you know, so, you know, you, you, I think as a group, certainly such as Megadeth, you know, we we try to always be who we are, no matter what. Um, and because by the time you're chasing a trend, you're already behind it. That's you right. Know? You right. want to you want to be ahead of it, and the only way to be ahead of it is to just do your own thing, and and you know, and then you know, some sometimes you just do your own thing long enough, and then I mean, look at look at the end. By the end of Slayer suddenly everyone's a Slayer fan. Right. And I can assure you back in the eighties, not everybody was a Slayer fan because right. they were very, <laughs> they were very niche and very particular to, to who their, you know, who their fans were. That's right. And, but yeah, by the end, all of a sudden, like everybody's like Slayer, you know, and it's like, are you really a Slayer fan or are you just kind of getting sucked into the tailwind? Exactly. Everybody sort of says Slayer's cool, so all right, all right, Slayer's cool because I'm just kind of following the crowd. It doesn't matter. I mean, right? Whatever. But 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 it's funny how perception becomes reality, you know. So um, and it's the Slayer's credit, they only did one thing for 35 years. They were Slayer. That's it. That's it. You know, they never they never tried to write a pop song. Right. They, they never tried to write a ballad. They <laughs> right. they were just Slayer, you know. And and you know. If, if there's one thing to be known for in your career is just being Slayer, that's a pretty freaking good way that's to, right. you know, hang it, hang, hang it up and, you know, and, and call it a day on that note, you know? That's right. And, and, and Megadeth has been going strong, you know, and why do you think the fans are so just, they've always been there. They never give up on you through whatever. Why do you think that's the well, case? Well, I think there's a couple things. One, I think they look to Dave as their hero, their leader. And Dave's a fighter, and he's a survivor, yeah. you know? I mean, look, he's gone through being fired, kicked out, kicked down. He just went through cancer. He's been, you know, I mean, I mean, the guy, he's a, he's a, a, a tireless warrior, you know? And I think that's a big part of the Megadeth story, you know? And and that, that's worldwide, and that's, that's yeah. just global. And then behind that, of course, there's this brotherhood between me and him, you know, that's as much as Dave's the, the fighter, you know, 
it's like I'm I, Dave's the fighting one and I'm the friendly one, right? So that, there's a chemistry there right. that people like. They're like, okay, as long as Allison's in the room, we feel safe, you know. There you go. Um, so there's a dynamic that works, and I think you know, look, musically, the, the material's always been been you know exceptionally well done, well played. Um, these songs have stood the test of time, so they fall in the timeless category. And there's been a consistency. You know, yeah. the Megadeth sound has been very consistent over the years. Right. Um, and so that's, you know, I think those are kind of the four components that are four or five components that make the thing, you know, that, that that's what makes it work. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm, I'm wondering, uh, when can we expect a new uh, Megadeth album? As soon as it's done. Oh, yeah? So whenever <laughs> you know, that day is, huh? Part, yeah, part of it is as soon as it's done, and the other part of it is whenever the world opens up to the point that we yeah. can put it out and, and really get out and support it. I mean, there's no reason to be putting a record out in the middle of a pandemic because it'll, yeah. it'll just die and go away. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. uh, so it's, you know, look, we've we've been taking this time to really, you know, deep dive and make this a great record. It's obviously following a great record in Dystopia. Right. Um, great very album. acclaimed grammy award-winning record yes. you know what i mean so it's kind of got all these sort of top level benchmark standards that this next record we want it we want it to be that that good obviously but you know the year it's look it's four or five years later now too so it, it's you know i think always when you make a record <clears throat> you're 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 comparing it to yourself you're comparing it to what else is out there but most importantly i think artistically you like what are we saying do right. you have anything to say? If you right. don't have anything to say, don't make a record. Take right. your time and live life and get something to say. And I think I think that's been part of this journey is making sure that what we're saying on this record <laughs> is something that's um, not a repeat from us, yeah. or from anybody, and it's fresh and it's new and because that that's what makes a timeless record is when you've got something new to say. Well, it always seems like there's a lot to say these days, especially from the point of view that Megadeth, you know, it's known for, you know, I guess politically or in that kind of form, you know, there's a lot of stuff you can talk yeah. about as far as that goes. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, well, I won't keep you, but you, I know you've got, you've got a base Chronicles tour coming up, right? And you've got, I a, do. A, I do. Yeah. Yep. And a, and a movie, you know, and I won't, I yeah, won't I got, keep you or anything, but I just want to give a quick, you know, talk. Sure. About. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. The dwellers film is coming out October 12th. Awesome. Um, right up ahead of that, um, we, I got some offers to do some solo shows, um, as, as the storyteller stuff. And I decided to call it base chronicles. We had base story, which we still have, but that was, that was themed around the, my life with death book. Okay. And then we did the more life with death tour, which was themed around that memoir. Right. And then now my new book, um, rockstar hitman, the sledge chronicles is out, and we actually have a second book we're going to be putting out this fall. So that's why I thought we could do the base chronicles, which ties in well with that book. Awesome. And um, and and the book and the movie have some some cross references as well. So it's all sort of tied together. And so hence the idea of calling this one. So we went from base story to more life with death to the base chronicles. Wow, that's awesome. I'm looking forward to all that. That's you got a lot going on that that all the fans can really enjoy and sink their teeth yeah. into, man. That's good stuff. Man. You know, I play music for fun, man. You know, I 
for, I mean, you know, look, it's obviously it's a profession and it's all that, but you know, I, I've never done it for the money. I've never done it for anything else other than just having fun, you know, and, and, and more now probably at this point in my life than ever. That's, you know, all, that's be, great. To still be, to be, still be one of the, one of the last ones standing in our genre and, you know, of our, of our peers, you know, to still be out doing it, man, to me, it's, it's, it's all the more reason to just make music for fun. Well, there you go. Well, I hope you continue to do it for a long, long time. And I'm looking forward to everything that you do, man. I'm a really big fan. And I appreciate you Thank talking. You, Thanks, man. Yep. And I hope you have a Bye. good night. Be looking forward to everything, like I said, and uh, everybody's going to enjoy it. So take care, man. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks I appreciate it. Yep. See you, Gary. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Hello, it's Gary here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Real Music. And if you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so by clicking on the support button. I appreciate it so much. And until next time, everybody, this is Gary Stuckey. Don't stop believing.